The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, continuing the story of The Hobbit. Chapter 10. The Choices of Master Samwise Frodo was lying upward on the ground, and the monster was bending over him, so intent upon her victim that she took no heed of Sam and his cries until he was close at hand. As he rushed up, he saw that Frodo was already bound in cords, wound about him from ankle to shoulder, and the monster with her great forelegs beginning half to lift, half to drag his body away. On the near side of him lay gleaming, gleaming on the ground his elven blade, where it had fallen useless from his grasp. Sam did not wait to wonder what ha what was to be done, or whether he was brave or loyal or filled with rage. He sprang forward with a yell and seized his master's sword in his left hand. Then he charged. No onslaught more fierce was ever seen in the savage world of beasts, where some desperate small creature armed with little teeth alone will spring upon a tower of horn and hide that stands above its fallen mate. Disturbed as if out of some gloating dream by his small yell, she turned slowly the dreadful malice of her glance upon him, but almost before she was aware that a fury upon her greater than any that she had known in countless years to shining sword bit upon her foot and shore away the claw. Sam sprang in, inside the arches of her legs, and with a quick upthrust of his other hand, stabbed at the clustered eyes upon her lowered head. One great eye went dark. Now the miserable creature was right under her, for the moment out of the reach of her sting and of her claws. Her vast belly was above him, with its putrid light, and the stench of it almost smote him down. Still his fury held for one more blow, and before she could sink upon him, smothering him in all his little impudence of courage, he lashed the bright elven blade across her with desperate strength. But Shelob was not as dragons are. No softer spot had she save only her eyes. Knobbed and pitted with corruption was her age-old hide, but ever thickened from within the layer on layer of evil growth. The blade scored it with a dreadful gash, but the... But those hideous folds could not be pierced by any strength of men. Not through elf or dwarf should forge the steel, or the hand of Baron or of Turin wield it. She yielded to the stroke, and then heaved up the great bag of her belly high above Sam's head. Poison frothed and bubbled from the wound. Now splaying her legs, she drove her huge bulk down on him again. Too soon. For Sam still stood upon his feet, and dropping his own sword with both hands, he held the elven blade point upwards, bending off that ghastly roof. And so she lobbed with the driving force of her own cruel will, with strength greater than any warrior's hand, thrust herself upon a bitter spike. Deep, deep it pricked, as Sam was crushed slowly to the ground. No such anguish had she ever known, or dreamed of knowing, in all her long world of wickedness. Not the doughtiest soldier of old Gondor, nor the most savage or contrapped, had ever thus endured her, or set blade to her beloved flesh. A shudder went through her, heaving up again, wrenching away from the pain. She bent her withering lib limbs beneath her and sprang backwards in a convulsive leap. Sam had fallen to his knees by Frodo's head, his senses reeling in the foul stench, his two hands still gripping the hilt of the sword. Through the mist before his eyes, he was aware dimly of Frodo's face, and stubbornly he fought to master himself and to drag himself, drag himself out of the swoon that was upon him. Slowly he raised his head and saw her, only a few paces away, eyeing him, her beak drabbling a spittle of venom and a green ooze trickling from below her wounded eye. There she crouched, her shuddering belly splayed upon the ground, the great bows of...
Bows of her legs quivering as she gathered herself for another spring, this time to crush and sting to death. No little bite of poisons to still the struggling of her meat, this time to slay and then to rend. Even as Sim himself crouched looking at her, seeing her, seeing his death in, in her eyes, a thought came to him, as if some remote voice had spoken, and he fumbled in his breast with his left hand and found what he sought. Cold and hard and solid, it seemed to touch it. She seemed to his touch in a phantom world of horror, the file of Gledriel. Gledriel, he said faintly, and then he heard voices far off but clear, the crying of the elves as they walked under the stars and the beloved shadows of the Shire, and the music of the elves as it came through his sleep in the hall of fire in the house of El Elrond. Githelnel a Elbreth, and then his tongue was loosed and his voice cried in a language he did, which he did not know. A Elbreth Glyphindel, Omenopelandriel, the Nalancy de Nurgrathsis, a Tyronen Fenulios. And with that he staggered to his feet and the and was And with that he staggered to his feet and was Samwise the Hobbit, Hamfast son again. Now come on, you filth, he cried. You hurt my master, you brute, and you'll pay for it. We're going on, but we'll settle with you first. Come on and taste it again. As if his indomitable spirit had set its potency in motion, the glass blazed flame. The glass blazed suddenly like a white torch in his hand. It flamed like a star that, leaping from the ferment, yeah. leaping from the ferment, sears the dark air with intolerable light. No such terror out of heaven had ever burned the shelob's face before. The beams of it entered into her wounded head and scored it with unbearable pain. And the dreadful infection of light spread from eye to eye. She fell back, beating the air with her forelegs, her sight blasted by inner lightings, her mind in agony. Then turning her maimed head away, she rolled aside and began to crawl, claw by claw, towards the opening in the dark cliff behind. Sam came on. He was feeling like a drunken man, but he came on, and she loved cowed at least, at last, shrunken in defeat, jerked and quivered as she tried to hasten from him. She reached the hole, squeezing down, leaving a trail of green-yellow slime. She slipped in, and that, even as Sam hewed a, a last stroke at her dragging legs, then he fell to the ground. Shelob was gone, and whether she lay long in her lair, nursing her malice and with, with, nursing her malice and her misery, and in a slow years of darkness healed herself from within, rebuilding her clustered eyes and her like death, she spawned mountains of shadow. This tale does not tell. Sam. Rarely, as the evening of the nameless land fell upon the place of battle, he crawled back to his master. Master, dear master, he said, but Frodo did not speak. As he had run forward, eager, rejoicing to be free, Shelob, with hideous speed, had come behind and with one swift stroke had stung him in the neck. He lay now pale and heard no voice and did not move. Master, dear master, said Sam, and through a long silence waited, listening in vain. Then as quickly as he could, he cut away the binding cords and laid his head upon Frodo's breast into his mouth, but no stir of life could he find, nor feel the faint, faintest flutter of the heart. Often he chafed his master's hands and feet and touched his brow, but all were cold. Frodo, Mr. Frodo, he called, don't leave me here alone. It's your Sam calling. Don't go where I can't follow. Wake up, Mr. Frodo. Oh, wake up, Frodo. Hear me, dear. Wake up. The anger surged over him, and he ran about his master's body in a rage, stabbing the air and smiting the stones, and shouting challenges. 
Presently he came back, and bending looked at Frodo's face, pale beneath him in the dusk, and suddenly he saw that he was in the picture that was revealed to him in the mirror of Galadriel and Morian. Frodo with the pale face lying fast asleep under a great dark cliff, or fast asleep he had thought then. He's dead, he said, not asleep, dead. And as he said it, as if the words had set the venom to its work again, it seemed to him that the hue of the face grew livid green. And then black despair came down on him, and Sam bowed to the ground, and drew his gray hood over his head, and night came into his heart, and he knew no more. When at last the blackness passed, Sam looked up, and shadows were about him, but for how many minutes or hours the world had gone dragging on, he could not tell. He was still in the same place, and still his master lay beside him dead. The mountains had not crumbled, nor the earth fallen into ruin. What shall I do? What shall I do? he said. Did I come all this way with him for nothing? And then he remembered his own voice speaking words that at the time he did not understand himself, at the beginning of their journey. I have something to do before the end. I must see it through, sir, if you understand. But what can I do? Not leave Mr. Frodo dead, unburied on the top of the mountains, and go home, or go on? Go on, he repeated, and for a moment doubt and fear shook him. Go on? Is that what I've got to do, and leave him? Then at last he began to weep, and going to Frodo, he composed his body, and folded his cold hands upon his breast, and wrapped his cloak about him, and he laid his own sword at one side, and the staff that Faramir had gave him had given at the other. If I'm to go on, he said, then I must take your sword, by your leave, Mr. Frodo, but I'll put this one to lie by you, as it lay by the old king in the barrow, and you've got your beautiful mithril coat from old Mr. Bilbo. In your star glass, Mr. Frodo, you did lend it to me, and I'll need it, for I'll always be in the dark now. It's too good for me, and the lady gave it to you, but maybe she'd understand. Do you understand, Mr. Frodo? I've got to go on. But he could not go, not yet. He knelt and held Frodo's hand and could not release it. And time went by, and still he knelt, holding his master's hand, and in his heart, keeping a debate. Now he tried to find strength to tear himself away and go on a lonely journey for vengeance. If once he could go, his anger would bear him down all the roads of the world, pursuing until he had at last, had him at last, Gollum. Then Gollum would die in a corner, but that was not what he had set out to do. It would not be worthwhile to leave his master for that. It would not bring him back. Nothing would. They had better both be dead together, and that too would be a, lo a lonely journey. He looked on the bright point of the sword. He thought of the places behind where there was a black brink and an empty fall into nothingness. There was no escape that way. That was to do nothing, not even to grieve. That was not what he had set out to do. What am I to do then, he cried, and now he seemed plainly to know the hard answer. See it through. Another lonely journey, and the worst. What? Me, alone, go to the crack of doom and all? He quelled still, but the resolve grew. What? Me? Take the ring from him? The council gave it to him. But the answer came at once, and the council gave him companions so that the errand should not fail, and you were the last of all the company. The errand must not fail. I wish I wasn't the last, he groaned. I wish old Gandalf was here or somebody. Why am I left alone to make up my mind? I'm sure to go wrong, and if... And it's not for me to go taking the ring, putting myself forward. But you haven't put yourself forward. You've been, you've been put up. You've been put forward. And as for not being the right and proper person, why Mr. Frodo wasn't, as you might say, why Mr. Bilbo, Bilbo, 
They didn't choose themselves. Ah, well, I must make up my own mind. I'll make it up, but I'll be sure to go wrong. That'd be Sam Gamgee all over. Let me see now. If we're found here, or Mr. Photo's found, and that thing's on him, well, the enemy will get it. And that's the end of all of us, of Laurie and, and Rivendell, and the Shire and all. And there's no time to lose, or it'll be the end anyway. The war's begun, and more than likely things are all going to the enemy's way already. No chance to go back with it and get get advice or permission. No, it's sit here till they come and kill me over, mast, over master's body, and gets it, or take it and go. He drew a deep breath. Then take it it is. He stooped. Very gently, he undid the clasp at the neck and slipped his hand inside Frodo's tunic. Then, with his other hand raising the head, he kissed the cold forehead and softly drew the chain over it. And then, he, and then the head lay quietly back again and rest. No change came over the still face, and by that more than by all other tokens, Sam was convinced at last that Frodo had died and laid aside the quest. Goodbye, Master, my dear, he murmured. murmured. Forgive you, Sam. He'll come back to this spot when the job's done, if he manages it, and then he'll not leave you again. Rest in quiet till I come, and may no foul creature come and ang nag you. And if the lady could hear me and give me one wish, I wish to come back and find you again. Goodbye. And then he bent his own neck and put the chain upon it, and at once his head was bowed to the ground with the weight of the ring, as if a great stone had been strung on him. But slowly, as if the weight became less or new strength grew in him, he raised his head, and then with a great effort got to his feet and found that he could walk and bear his burden. And for a moment he lifted up the file and looked down at his master. And the light burned gently now the now with the soft radiance of the evening star in the summer. And in that light, Frodo's face was fair of hue again, pale but beautiful with an elvish beauty, as of one who has long passed the shadows. And with the bitter comfort of that last sight, Sam turned and hid the light and stumbled on into the growing dark. He had not too far to go. The tunnel was some way behind, the cleft a couple of hundred yards away, uh, y yards ahead or less. The path was visible in the dusk, a deep rut worn on ages of passage, running now gently up in a long trough with cliffs on either side. The trough narrowed rapidly. Soon Sam came to a long flight of broad shallow steps. Now the orc tower was right above him, frowning black, and in, the, and in it the red eye glowed. Now he was hidden in the dark shadow under it. He was coming to the top of the steps and was in the cleft at last. I've made up my mind, he kept saying to himself, but he had not. Though he had done his best to think it out, what he was doing was altogether against the grain of his nature. Have I got it wrong? He muttered, what I have, what I have to done. As, a, as the sheer sides of the cleft closed about him, before he reached the actual summit, before he looked at, the la at last in the path descending into the nameless land, he turned. For a moment, motionless and intolerable doubt, he looked back. He could still see, like a small blot in the gathering gloom, the mouth of the tunnel, and he thought he could see or guess where Frodo lay. He fancied there was a glimmer on the ground down there, or perhaps it was some trick of his tears as he peered out at the high, stony place where all his life had fallen in ruin. If only I could have my one wish, my one wish, he sighed, to go back and find him. Then at last he turned to the road in front and took a few steps, the heaviest and the most reluctant he had ever taken. Only a few steps, and now only a few more, and he would be going down and would never see that high place again. 
And then suddenly he heard cries and voices. He stood still as stone. Orc voices. They were behind him and before him. A noise of trampling feet and hands were... Uh, and hands... And, oh, and sorry. Trampling feet and harsh shouts. Orcs were coming up to the cleft from the far side, from some entry to the tower, perhaps. Trampling feet and sh shouts behind. He wheeled round. He saw small red lights, torches, winking away below there as they issued from the tunnel. At last, the hunt was up. The red eye of the tower had not been blind. He was caught. Now the flicker of approaching torches and the clink of steel ahead was very near. In a minute, they would reach the top and be on him. He had taken too long in making up his mind, and now it was no good. How could he escape or save himself or save the ring? The ring. He was not aware of any thought or decision. He simply found himself drawing up the chain and taking the ring in his hand. The hand, the head of the orc company appeared in the cleft right before him. Then he put it on. The world changed, and a single moment of time was filled with an hour of thought. At once he was aware that hearing was sharpened while sight was dimmed, but otherwise than in Shilab's lair. All things about him were now not dark but vague, while he himself was there in a gray, hazy world alone, like a small black solid rock in the ring, weighing down his left hand, was like an orb of hot gold. He did not feel invisible at all, but horribly and unquietly, unquietly, you, oh, sorry, uniquely visible, and he knew that somewhere an eye was searching for him. He heard the crack of stone and the murmur of water far off in Morgovel, and down away under the rock the bubbling misery of Shelob, groping, lost in some blind passage, and voices in the dungeons of the tower, and the cries of the orcs as they came out of the tunnel, and deafening roaring in his ears, the crash of the feet and the rending clamor of the orcs before him. He shrank against the cliff, but they marched up like a phantom company, gray distorted figures in a mist, only dreams of fear with pale flames in their hands, and they passed him by. He cowered, trying to keep away into some cranny and to hide. He listened. The orcs from the tunnel and the others marching down had sighted one another, and both parties were now hurrying and shouting. He heard them both clearly, and he understood what they said. Perhaps the ring gave understandings of tongues, or simply understanding, especially of the servants of Sauron, its maker, so that if he gave heed, he understood and translated the thought to himself. Certainly the ring had grown greatly in power as it approached the places of its forging, but one thing it did not confer, and that was courage. At present, Sam still thought only of hiding, of lying low till all was quiet again, and he listened anxiously. He could not tell how near the voices were. The words seemed almost in his ears. Ola, Gorbag, what are you doing up here? Had enough of, had enough of war already? Orders, you lubber, and what are you doing, Shagrat? Tired of lurking up there, thinking of coming down to fight? Orders to you. I'm in command to this pass, so speak civil. What's your report? Nothing. Hi, hi, yo. A yell break into exchanges of the leaders. The orcs lower down had suddenly seen something. They began to run. So did the others. Hi, Ola. Here's something. Lying right in the road. A spy. A spy. There was a hoot of snarling horns and a babble of baying voices. With a dreadful stroke, Sam was wakened from his cowering mood. They had seen his master. What would they do? He had heard tales of the orcs to make the blood run cold. It could not be borne. He sprang up. He flung the quest and all his decisions away, in fear and doubt with them. He knew now where his place was and had been, at his master's side, though he, though what he could do there was not clear. 
though what he could do there was not clear. Back he ran down the steps, down the path towards Frodo. How many are there, he thought, thirty or forty from the tower at least, and a lot more than that from down below, I guess. How many can I kill before they get me? They'll see the flame of the sword as soon as I draw it. They'll see, they'll get me sooner or later. I wonder if any song will ever mention it. As Samwise fell in the high pass and made a wall of bodies round his master. No, no song, of course not, for the ring will be found, and there will be no more songs. I can't help it. My place is by Mr. Frodo. They must understand that, all round in the council, and the great lords and ladies with all their wisdom, their plans have gone wrong. I can't be their right I can't be their ring bearer, not without Mr. Frodo. But the orcs were out of his dim sight now. He had no he had had no time to consider himself, but now he realized that he was weary, weary almost to exhaustion. His legs could not carry him as he wished. He was too slow. The path seemed miles long. Where had they all got to in the mist? There they were again, a good way ahead still. A cluster of figures round something lying on the ground. A few seemed to be darting this way and that, bent like dogs on a trail. He tried to make a spurt. Come on, Sam, he said, or you'll too be late again. He loosened the sword in its sheath. In a minute he would try it, and then... There was a wild clamor, hooting and laughing up something was lifted from the ground. Yahoy, yahari hoy, up, up. Then a voice shouted, Now off, the quick way, back to the undergate. She'll not trouble us tonight by all the signs. The whole band of orc figures began to move. Four in the middle were carrying a body, high on their shoulders. Yahoy! They had taken Frodo's body. They were off. He could not catch them up. Still he labored on. The orcs reached the tunnel and were passing in. Those with the burden, <clears throat> those with the burden went first, and behind them there was a good deal of struggling and jostling. Sam came on. He drew the sword. A flicker of blue came, a, a flicker of blue in his wavering hand, but they did not see it. Even as he came panting up, the last of them vanished into the black hole. For a moment he stood gasping, clutching his breast. Then he drew his sleeve across his face, wiping away the grime and sweat and tears. Curse the filth, he said, and sprang away from them into the darkness. It no longer seemed very dark to him in the tunnel. Rather, it was as if he had stepped out into a thin mist, into a, out of a thin mist into a heavier fog. His weariness was growing, but his will hardened all the more. He thought he could see the light of torches a little way ahead, but try as he would, he could not catch them up. Orcs go fast in tunnels, and this tunnel they knew well, for in spite of Shelob, they were forced to use it often as the swiftest way from the dead city over the mountains. In what far-off time the main tunnel and the great round pit had been made, where Shelob had taken up her abode in ages past, they did not know, but many byways they had themselves delved about and on either side, so as to escape the lair and their goings to and fro to the business of their masters. Tonight they did not intend to go far down, but were hastening to the side, hastening to find a side passage that led back to the watch, their watchtower on the cliff. Most of them were gleeful, delighted with what they had found and seen, and as they and as they ran, they grabbed, they gabbled and yammered after the fashion of their kind. Sam heard the noise of their harsh voices, flat and hard in the dead air, and he could distinguish two voices from among all the rest. They were louder and nearer to him. The captains of the two parties seemed to be bringing up the rear, debating as they went. "'Can't you stop your rubble making such a racket, Shagrat?' grunted the one. We don't want Shelob on us. Go on, Gorbag. Yours are making more than half the noise, said the other. 
But let the lads play. No need to worry about Sheila for a bit, I reckon. She sat on the nail, it seems, and we shan't cry about that. Didn't you see? A nasty mess all the way back to that cursed crack of hers. If we've stopped it once, we've stopped it a hundred times. So let them laugh. And we've struck a bit of luck at last. Got something that Lugbers wants. Lugbers wants it, eh? What is that? Do you think Elvish should, Elvis should look to me but undersized? What's the danger to thing like that? Don't know till we've had a look. Oh, so they haven't told you what to expect? They don't tell us all they know, do they? Not by half, but they can make mistakes. Even the top ones can. Score bag. Shagor's voice was lowered, so that even with his strangely sharpened hearing, Sam could only just catch what was said. They may, but they've got eyes and ears everywhere. Some among my law as like as not, but there's no doubt about it. They're troubled about something. The Nazgul down below are, by your account, and Lugburst too. Something nearly slipped. Nearly, you say, said Gorbag. All right, said Shagrat. But we'll talk about we'll talk of that later. We'll talk we wait till we get to the underway. There's a place that we there there's a place there we can talk a bit while the lads go on. Shortly afterwards, Sam saw the torches disappear. Then there was a rumbling noise, and just as he hurried up, a bump. As far as he could guess, the orcs had turned and gone into a very opening, which Frodo. Into the very opening, which Frodo and he had tried found, had tried and found blocked. It was still blocked. There seemed to be a great stone in the way, but the orcs had got through somehow, for he could hear the voices on the other side. They were still running along, deeper and deeper into the mountain, back towards the tower. Sam felt desperate. They were carrying off his master's body for some foul purpose, and he could not follow. He thrust and pushed at the block, and he threw himself against it, but it did not yield. Then not far inside, or so he thought, he heard the two captains' voices talking again. He stood still listening for a little, hoping perhaps to learn something useful. Perhaps Gorbach, who seemed to belong to Minas Morgul, would come out, and he could then slip in. No, I don't know, said Gorbag's voice. The messages go through quicker than anything could fly, as a rule, but I don't inquire how it's done. Safest not to. Grr, those Nag Nazgul give me the creeps, and they skin the body off of you as soon as you look at as soon as look at you, and leave you all cold in the dark on the other side. But he likes them. They're his favorites nowadays, so it's no use grumbling. I'll tell you, it's no game serving down in the city. You should try be you should try by being up here with Shelob for company, said Shagrat. I'd like to i I'd like to try somewhere where there's none of them. But the war's on now and when they're and when that's over things may be easier. It's going well, they say. They would, grunted Gorbag. We'll see. But anyway, if it does go there there should be a lot more room. What do you say? If we get a chance, you and me'll slip off and set up somewhere on our own with a truth with a few trusty lads, somewhere where there's good loot, nice and handy, no big bosses. Ah, said Shagrat, like old times. Yes, said Gorbag, but don't count on it. I'm not easy on my mind. As I said, the big bosses, eh? His voice sank almost to a whisper. Eh, even the biggest can make mistakes. Something nearly slipped, you say. I say something has slipped, and we've got to look out. Always the poor Eurics to put slips right, and small things. But don't forget, the enemies don't love us any more than they love him. And if they get top sides on them, we're done too. But see here, when were you ordered out? About an hour ago, just before you saw us, a message came. Nazgul uneasy, spies feared on stairs, double vigilance, patrol to head of stairs. I came at once. Bad business, said Gorbag. See here, 
Our silent watches were uneasy more than two days ago, that I know. But my patrol wasn't ordered out for another day, nor any message sent to Lugbers either, owing to the great signal going up and the high Nazgul going off to the war and all that. And then they couldn't get Lisburg to pay attention for a good while, I'm told. The eye was busy. The eye was busy elsewhere, I suppose, said Shagrat. But big things are going away east, they say. I dare say, growled Gorbat. But in the meantime, enemies have got up the stairs. And what were you up to? You're supposed to keep watch, aren't you? Special orders or no? What are you for? That's enough. Don't you try and teach me my job. We were awake all right. We knew there were funny things going on. Very funny. Yes, very funny. Lights and shouting and all. But Shelob was on the go. My lad saw her and her sneak. Her sneak? What's that? You must have seen him. Little thin black fellow, like a spider himself, or perhaps more like a starved frog. He's been here before. Came out of Lugburz the first time, years ago, and he had word from high up to let him pass. He'd been up the stairs once or twice since then, but we've left him alone. Seemed to have some understanding with her ladyship. I suppose he's no good to eat. She wouldn't worry about words from high up. But a fine guard you keep in the valley. He was up here a day before all this racket. Early last night we saw him. Anyway, my lads reported that her ladyship was having some fun, and that seemed good enough for me, until the message came. I thought her sneak had brought her a toy, and that you perhaps sent her a present, a prisoner of war or something. I don't interfere when she's playing. Nothing gets by Sheila when she's on the hunt. Nothing, you say? Don't, didn't you use your eyes back there? I tell you, I'm not easy in my mind. Whatever came up the stairs did get by. It cut her web and got clean out of the hole. There's something to think about. Ah, well, but she got him in the end, didn't she? Got him? Got who? This little fellow? But if he was the only one, then she'd have had him on to her larder long before, and there and there he'd be now. And if Lugburz wanted him, you'd have to go and get him. Nice for you. But there was more than one. At this point, Sam began to listen more attentively and pressed his ear against the stone. Who cut the cords she'd put around him, Shagrat? Same one as cut the web, didn't you see that? And who sucked the pin into her ladyship? Same one, I reckon. And where is he? Where is he, Shagrat? Shagrat made no reply. You may well put your thinking cap on if you've got one. It's no laughing matter. No one, no one has ever stuck a pin in Shelob before, as you know, as you should know well enough. There's no grief in that, but think there's someone here. There's someone loose hereabouts as is more dangerous than any other damned rebel, rebel that ever walked since the bad old times, since the great siege. Something has slipped. And what is it then? growled Shagrat. By all the signs, Captain Shagrat, I'd say there's a large warrior loose. Elf, most likely, with an elf sword anyway, and an axe as well, maybe. And he's loose in your bounds, too, and you've never spotted him. Very funny indeed, Gorbag spat. Sam smiled grimly at the description of himself. Ah, well, you always did take a gloomy view, said Shagrat. You can read the signs how you like them, but there may be other ways to explain them. Anyhow, I've got watchers at every point, and I'm going to deal with one thing at a time. When I've had a look at the fellow we have caught, then I'll begin to worry about something else. It's my guess you won't find much in that little fellow, said Gorbag. He may have had nothing to do with the real mischief. The big fellow with the sharp sword doesn't seem to have thought him more th much anyhow. Just left him lying. Regular Elvis trick. We'll see. Come on now. We've talked enough. Let's go and have a look at the prisoner. What are you going to do with him? Don't forget I spotted first. If there's any game, me and my lads must be in on it. 
Now, now, growled Shagrat. I have my orders, and it's more than my belly's worth or yours to break them. Any trespasser found by the guard is to be held at the tower. Prisoners to be stripped. Full description of every article, garment, weapon, letter, ring, or trinket is to be sent to Lugbirds at once, and to Lugbirds only. And the prisoners to be kept safe and intact, and under pain of death for every member of the guard, until he sends or comes himself. That's plain enough, and that's what I'm going to do. Strip day, said Gorbag. What, teeth, nails, hair, and all? No, none of that. He's for Lugbirds, I tell you. He's wanted safe and whole. You'll find that difficult, laughed Gorbag. He's nothing but carry-on now. What Lugbirds will do with that will do with such stuff I can't guess. He might as well go on the spot. You fool, snarled Shagrat. You've been talking very clever, but there's a lot you don't know, though most other folk do. You'll be for the pot or for Shelob if you don't take care. Carry on. Is that all you know of her ladyship? When she binds with cord, she's after meat. She doesn't eat dead meat nor suck cold blood. This fellow isn't dead. Sam reeled, clutching at the stone. He felt as if the whole dark world was turning upside down. So great was the shock that he almost swooned, but even as he fought to keep a hold of his on his senses, deep inside him he was aware of the comment. You fool, he isn't dead, and your heart knew it. Don't trust your head, Sam don't trust your head, Samwise, it is not the best part of you. The trouble with you is that you never really had any hope. Now what is to be done? For the moment nothing, but to prop himself against the unmoving stone and listen listen to the vile orc voices. Garn, said Shagrat. She's got more than one poison. When she's hunting, she just gives them a dab in the neck, and they go as limp as bone fish. And then she has her way with them. Do you remember old Uftak? We lost him for days. Then we found him in a corner. Hanging up he was, but he was wide-eyed and glaring. How he laughed. She'd forgotten him, maybe, but we didn't touch him. No good to go. Ooh. No good interfering with her. Nah, this little filth, he'll wake up in a few hours and be on feeling a bit sick for a bit. He'll be all right, or would be, if Lugbirds let, would let him alone. And of course, beyond wondering where he is and what's happened to him. And what's going to happen to him, laughed Gorbrag. We can tell him a few stories at any rate if we can't do anything else. I don't suppose he's ever been in lovely Lugbirds, so he may like to know what to expect. This is going to be more funny than I thought. Let's go. There's going to be no fun, I tell you, says Shagrat. And he's going and he's got to be kept safe, or we're all as good as dead. Alright, but if I were you I'd catch the big one that's on the loose before you send in any report to Lugbirds. They won't sound too pretty to say you've caught the kit and let the cat ex escape. The voices began to move away. Sam heard the sound of feet receding. He was recovering from his shock, and now a wild fury was on him. I got it all wrong, he cried. I knew I would. Now they've got him. The devils. The filth. Never leave your master. Never, never. That was my right rule, and I knew it in my heart. May I be forgiven. Now I've got to get back to him. Somehow. Somehow. He drew his sword again and beat on the stone with the hilt, but it only gave a, but it only gave out a dull sound. The sword, however, blazed so brightly now that he could see dimly in its light. To his surprise, he noticed that the great block was shaped like a heavy door and was less than twice his own height. Above it was a dark blank space between the top and a low arch on the of the opening. It was probably only meant to be a above it was a dark blank space between the top and the low arch of the opening. It was probably only meant to be a stop against the intrusion of Shelob, fastened on the inside with some large or bolt beyond the reach of her cunning. With his remaining strength Sam leaped and caught the top, scrambled up and dropped. 
And then he ran madly, sword blazing in hand, round a bend and up a winding tunnel. The news that his master was alive roused him to a last effort beyond thought of weariness. He could not see anything ahead, for this new passage twisted and turned constantly, but he thought he was catching the two orcs up. Their voices were going nearer again. Now they seemed quite close. That's what I'm going to do, said Shagra in angry tones. Put him right up in the top chamber. What for, growled Gorbad. Haven't you got any lockups down below? He's going out of harm's way, I tell you, answered Shagrat. See, he's precious. I don't trust all my lads and none of yours, nor you neither, when you're made for fun. He's going where I want him, and where you won't come, and if, if you don't keep civil. Up to the top, I say. He'll be safe there. Well, he, said Sam, you're forgetting the great big elvish warrior that's loose. And with that, he raced round the last corner, during which the ring gave him. He had misjudged the distance. The two arc figures were still some way ahead. He could see them now, black and squat against a red glare. The passage went straight at last, up an incline, and at the end, wide open, were great double doors, leading probably to deep chambers far below the high horn of the tower. Already the orcs with their burden had passed inside. Gorbag and Shagrat were, were drawing near the gate. Sam heard a bust of horse singing, blaring of horns, and banging of gongs, a hideous clamor. Gorbag and Shagrat were already on the threshold. Sam yelled and branded sting, but his little voice was drowned in the tumult. No one heeded him. The great door slammed to. Boom. The bars of iron fell into place and sighed. Clang. The gate was shut. Sam hurled himself against the bolted brazen plates and fell senseless to the ground. He was out in the darkness. Frodo was alive, but taken by the enemy.